Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you very much, Andrea, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect Education Workshop, and today's program is the role of nutrition, exercise, and meditation in coping with myeloproliferative neoplasms, or MPN. And I have to say that this is uh, part three of a three-part series on living with um, myeloproliferative neoplasms. And this is a very popular topic, I must say, in all the programs we do, and we're delighted um, to have, be able to offer this as part of the series. Now, today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations, and I particularly want to call out also to the MPN um, Education Foundation, the MPN Research Foundation, and the MPN Coalition, who have really been helping to spread the word about the program. And I also want to acknowledge all of you, your interest in this topic. We have on today's program over 359 participants on the program today, which is a very large group, considering the fact that myeloproliferative neoplasms is a somewhat of a rare um, blood cancer, and so we're happy that you're all on the call today. And we um, have lots of people from the United States. Um, but we also have international participants from Australia, Canada, South Africa, Turkey, and United Kingdom. So it really is a credit to all of you that you have chosen to spend this next hour with us. Now, today's program was supported by an unrestricted educational grant from Insight, and I want to thank them not only for their support of today's program, but for this entire MPN series, and also they've also supported a PV series as well. So it's really been quite um, a lot of support um, on, on this particular topic, and we're really delighted to um, be able to offer this program today. Now, we have wonderful speakers, and I want to and I know you want to hear them a great deal. I also want to let you know that we're going to have a chance during the call, the second part of the call, to be able to ask questions. So as you're listening to the speakers, think of questions that you might like to ask, because we'd like to take as many of your questions as possible during, the, um, during today's program. Our first speaker is uh, Dr. Christina Gowan. Dr. Gowan is a hematologist and medical oncologist integrative medicine specialist, Salish Integrative Oncology Care Center, Research Collaborative Mayo Clinic Cancer Center, and adjunct faculty, College of Health Promotion and Wellness, Arizona State University. And Dr. Gowan is really going to cover a number of things. She's first of all going to present an overview of myeloproliferative neoplasms and also discuss MPN-related weight changes, strategies for managing your weight, the role of integrative medicine, benefits of physical activity and exercise, including yoga and weight training, and common weight-related eating and hydration questions to ask your doctor and healthcare team. So um, I'm going to now, without further ado, turn this program over to, and it's my pleasure, I'll turn the program over to Dr. Gowan. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Messner, for the opportunity to speak on today's very important teleconference. I'm so excited to address this topic, which is near and dear to my own heart, and that is the role of nutrition, exercise, and meditation in cancer care. So while much of what we're discussing today is applicable to all disease, we are gearing it towards the NPN patient population. And so let us begin by a general overview of what are myeloproliferative neoplasms, or what we call NPNs. In Latin, the word myelo refers to bone marrow, which is essentially the body's blood cell factory. Proliferative refers to the rapid growth and production of cells. And finally, 
Neoplasm means abnormal growth of cells. So taken together, the phrase myeloproliferative neoplasm means an abnormal increased growth and production of blood cells. The diagnosis of myeloproliferative neoplasm truly encompasses three separate illnesses. These include essential thrombocytosis, or ET, polycythemia vera, or PV, and myelofibrosis, or MF. They each have different disruptions within the bone marrow itself and subsequently within the blood cell formation. ET is associated with elevated platelets. PV is associated with elevated red blood cells, white blood cells, and platelets. And finally, MF disrupts the bone marrow, what we call microenvironment or soil of the bone marrow, and can lead to scarring. And this leads to the decreased ability of the bone marrow to let go of those blood cells within the bloodstream and actually leads to low blood cell counts over time. Now it should be appreciated that NPNs may truly have a broad range in symptoms. And that can range to no symptoms at all to debilitating symptoms that can drastically affect the quality of life in those afflicted. In general, essential thrombocytosis tends to be the least symptomatic, followed by polycythemia vera, and finally myelofibrosis tends to be the most symptomatic of the group. In the symptomatic individual, symptoms such as fatigue, abdominal pain, night sweats, bone pain, fever, weight loss, depressed mood, sleeping and sexual disturbances all can reduce the quality of life, particularly when experienced together as a constellation of symptoms. So now we have a kind of a general overview of NPNs and the potential impact of the disease on you as a patient. So let's now move in to how you can optimally support your NPN treatment. There's a new term out there, and that's coined integrative medicine. And this describes a system of medicine that utilizes diet, exercise, meditation, and other supportive techniques in conjunction with evidence-based conventional medicine. Utilizing integrative medicine gives you, as the patient, the opportunity to take part in the treatment planning and affect your disease outcomes when used in conjunction with medical therapy that your provider has chosen for you. Good integrative medicine employs treating all aspects of you simultaneously, including the body, the mind, and the spirit. So how do you address the body from an integrative standpoint? This includes medical therapy, nutrition, and exercise. I would like to emphasize that when discussing optimal treatment for NPNs, even in an integrative medicine model, the cornerstone is medical management by your primary treating hematologist. Integrative medicine should never take the place of medical therapy, but is designed to be used in conjunction with your therapy. 
So I'd like to begin our integrative medicine discussion today by starting with some nutritional aspects to your care. NPNs may be associated with weight imbalances. In those afflicted with PV or ET, being overweight and or inactive may increase the cardiovascular and stroke risk already associated with the disease. Maintaining a healthy weight and participating in exercise programs may actually reduce the risk of these morbid complications of the disease. Maintaining a body mass index of less than 25 is truly ideal. So you're all asking, well, how do I do that? And the typical diet that I recommend is based on two goals. Number one, to manage weight, and number two, to improve your overall body chemistry to a more anti-inflammatory environment. I recommend eating whole, non-processed foods with several vegetable and fruit servings per day with plenty of omega-3 sources such as wild-caught salmon and walnuts. Institute a policy of shopping only the perimeter of the supermarket where the whole unprocessed foods are typically sold. Try to attend farmer's markets and buy food that is local and in season. And try to eat as many different colored fruits and vegetables per day, so-called, quote unquote, eating the rainbow each day. Try to buy organic, particularly items off the dirty dozen list, those items that are associated with the most pesticides when grown inorganically. Aim for half of your plate each meal to be filled with vegetables. And try to eliminate sugary drinks and drink plenty of water each day. In those afflicted with myelofibrosis or MF, weight loss may actually be the primary issue. And obtaining high quality calories in those patients is of utmost importance. The same rules apply regarding whole foods. However, I typically recommend adding high quality fats, such as those from nuts, nut butters, olive oil, and avocados. Often I recommend making a smoothie with fruits, vegetables, and one of these high quality fats each day. I do recommend making homemade nutritional supplements, such as the smoothie drinks I mentioned, rather than those that are commercially available, as the source of the homemade ingredients are typically much higher quality and it's typically more cost efficient. Regardless of your diagnosis, it is essential to work with an educated nutritionist to establish goals that are unique to you and develop an optimal diet plan. So together with medical therapy and optimal nutrition, physical activity is another essential component of your integrative medicine care plan. Physical activity can boost energy, improve mood, and help maintain that healthy weight you desire. There's been a lot of large observational studies which show lower rates of cancer-related mortality, increased lifespans, and better quality of life in those who participate in exercise. 
So what's important when picking a physical activity is really to find one that is right for you. Pick an activity you enjoy, such as hiking, biking, swimming, or walking. Some specific needs that you as an MPN patient may need to consider include addressing fatigue levels and being mindful of splenomegaly or enlarged spleen if this is present. Low-intensity exercises such as yoga, tai chi, or pilates can truly be a great option for those with fatigue. Evidence is mounting that interventions such as these are effective at decreasing fatigue and improving quality of life in patients with other types of cancer. And MPN-specific yoga studies are currently underway. If high-risk activities are your interest, such as skiing or contact sports such as football, be sure that you are cleared from your doctor prior, prior to participating. And this is particularly true if you have splenomegaly. Set realistic expectations and realize some exercise is always better than none. It may help to have small bursts of exercise throughout the day, maybe 10 minutes three times per day. It's often best to have a balance of cardiovascular exercise and weight training, as both truly offer unique benefits and they are complementary to one another. So we discussed how important diet and exercise are to promoting your health. But what I'd like to also emphasize is that spiritual and wellness within the mind are equally as important. Integrative medicine in general works best when all aspects of you are addressed. The body via conventional medicine, diet and exercise. The mind via meditation and or joyful activities. And the spirit via spiritual activities and or nature. So finally, at your next doctor, doctor's visit, provider's visit, remember to ask questions regarding your integrative health. Be sure to bring any weight changes to your provider's attention, including weight gain or losses. And ask about resources available to you within the community, whether that's a nutritional referral or exercise options within your community. So I hope I provided you with some valuable information on how to be proactive in not only treating your disease, but also promoting health and wellness from within. So thank you, Dr. Mesner, for this opportunity to participate, and I will return the call back to you now. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Gowan. That was really just outstanding and really, really setting the whole context of today's program, really covering the entire spectrum of what we're, our, our, fall, our next speaker is going to be addressing in different pieces of that. So thank you so much. Um, and I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, so thanks. Um, our next speaker is Ms. Diana Bairden, and Ms. Bairden is a dietitian. She's supervisor of clinical nutrition at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. And Ms. Bairden is going to be addressing coming up um, and coming up with an eating plan that works for you and nutrition and hydration concerns and eating tips. It's really my pleasure now to turn the program over to Ms. Bairden. Thank you, Carolyn. I'm excited to be part of today's presentation. Um, and I'm, I'm going to work to complement um, what, what has been shared with you all thus far um, to help you come up with a plan um, that may work a little bit easier for your lifestyle or special needs. Um, but like was mentioned before, 
really need to work with your healthcare team when it comes to finding the specifics of your individual needs. And so I'm going to speak very gen generally today um, related to you know, some of the plant-based diet guidelines and our reduction of risk disease as well as um, our optimal intake if you aren't having any other side effects that might need to be addressed more specifically. So just to start with, um, throughout your treatment, whatever treatment that may be, um, each individual may experience the treatment in their own way. Um, not everyone has the same side effects to treatment or the same level of side effects to treatment. And so working with your healthcare team is essential in addressing your needs the best for you. Um, we have found, though, that folks who um, do maintain um, their nutrition during treatment uh, tolerate things better, they heal better, um, their energy levels better, and um, and overall, that is a very positive um, experience for everyone around. Sometimes nutrition can be one of those topics where um, people are encouraging the, the patient to eat and it starts to become a little bit more of a stress than a pleasure. And so finding a way to make it work early on is, is very beneficial. But just to um, reinforce what we were discussing earlier related to um, a whole foods plant-based diet and um, making that work for you. I have a lot of patients who share with me um, sometimes where they live access is a challenge or financially um, there are challenges. And I want to let you know that eating healthy is accessible for everyone. It just may look a little different for each person. So one thing I want to share is when we talk about a plant-based diet, you know, this encompasses our fruits and vegetables, our whole grains, our beans, peas, lentils, um, healthy fats like in our nuts and, and oils, our plant-based oils like olive oil, um, you know, coconut oil, those are all good for us. And um, we can consume them as close to harvest as possible, and that will allow us to get the most nutrition that we can. So fresh or frozen are the best ways to start with our plant-based foods. Um, avoiding canned as much as possible, there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, when you can food, um, you know, it's, it's usually canned you know, several weeks or months before and then brought to the shelf potentially or the time you might use it could be much later than when you purchased it. And so the food has sat in the liquid for a long time and, and the nutrients have been um, lessened. When um, you can, oftentimes there's more, more sodium added to the food as well, and sometimes linings um, of the cans can be an issue. There's, um, you may see in the grocery store some cans say BPA-free. Um, that's one of the components that um, has been shared, I think, very well through the community. We have plastic bottles that are BPA-free, and I think people's awareness is becoming um, much more um, present. But fresh or frozen are the best ways to um, access our plant-based foods, a variety of colors, like was mentioned earlier, and as close to harvest as possible. And so I want to kind of give a little bit of guidelines for that. Um, whenever we're looking at whole grains, for example, you want to be sure to read the label carefully because some of that can get a little confusing. Um, you want 
whole wheat, not just 100% wheat, for example. You want the whole grain because a lot of the nutrients are bound to that fiber. And so whenever something's heavily processed, those nutrients oftentimes are lost. And so some labels to look for, um, for example, are things like whole grain barley, you know, whole oats, um, whole wheat, wild rice. Um, I tell patients this often, if it takes a little longer to cook, that's the one you want. Because when we're cooking, what we're trying to do most of the time is soften the fiber and so, um, or break down that fiber so that it's um, easier to consume. And so that's a good rule of thumb. Um, the other thing is, I have a lot of patients who ask about organic and conventional, and using the Dirty Dozen list is a, a great way to help, you know, be a little bit more specific in the foods that tend to have thinner skins and can absorb the pesticides a little bit more. But another thing, frozen. You know, a lot of those that are on the list, such as, you know, berries and sometimes spinach, those you can get frozen, and um, if you select organic, it's a lot less expensive to buy them frozen than it is fresh. And the accessibility may be there as well. Um, organic tends to be more expensive because its shelf life is shorter, and so the food cost is greater when it's um, in the grocery store and if it's not sold. Another thing you can work to do, say that that's not even an option for you, say where you live, those types of things aren't always accessible or you don't have a local farmer's market. Um, cleaning your fruits and vegetables is another way to help reduce your exposure to the pesticides. Um, conventionally grown fruits and vegetables oftentimes have the pesticides pesticides mixed with the wax, and they'll spray the plant-based foods because um, as they're being transferred, um, they, they don't want them to get wet and for the pesticide to come off because then the food can start to decay more quickly. And so using a surfactant-based fruit and vegetable wash can be useful in reducing your exposure. Now, conventionally grown fruits and vegetables um, may be a GMO product, so that's a little bit more challenging, but at least reducing your exposure to some of those, um, those chemicals that they use for pesticides um, is a possibility. Um, at the grocery store, I've seen them. There are several brands. Um, I've found them in the cleaning aisles, and they're reasonably priced, and they're, they're um, not an expensive product to purchase. So that's another way to, um, to help if you're trying to reduce your exposure. As we move to lean proteins, though, um, a couple of things I, I kind of try to simplify it for patients, looking at the fat in the food, and um, we heard earlier about anti-inflammatory. We can get some of the benefits of the anti-inflammatory from our healthy fats, our plant-based fats, such as avocados, nuts and seeds, healthy oils. We can also get them from our animal-based proteins. Um, we want to look for proteins that have less saturated fat and more omega-3s. And so a good rule of thumb is if the fat's solid at room temperature, then it's probably got more saturated fat than you want to consume. So it helps us kind of break down as we're looking at our protein sources. Um, good or I should say optimal protein sources um, that have more omega-3s are our cold water fish. And like was mentioned earlier, you want wild-caught fish um, over farm-raised. And so 
cold water fish include salmon, tuna, halibut, sardines. These are things that are usually pretty accessible in grocery stores, and you can eat them canned. I know it's not um, maybe the form that most people you know, prefer them in, but if you're on the go and you're running, you know, canned tuna is completely fine. Uh, I know in my local grocery store, they have canned salmon, and it's wild-caught canned salmon, but it's deboned, de-skinned, and so making salmon patties, um, that's a, at least a resource if you're not um, in an area where you can get fresh fish all the time. Um, other things such as white poultry, and that's chicken and turkey breast, they don't have as much omega-3s, but they don't have the saturated fat. And saturated fats tend to have more omega-6 in them. Omega-6 is the opposite of omega-3 in high quantities. Um, beans, peas, and lentils can also be used as a protein source in combination with a whole grain. Or if you want to use quinoa, which is a whole, pro a whole protein, that's an option as well. And our dairy products are, are on the peripheral. There's a lot coming out with our dairy products um, that are helping make um, healthy fats accessible. For example, eggs. Um, chicken, you might notice this in the grocery store, some of the eggs have more omega-3. It's based on what the animals fed, kind of like us. What we eat is kind of how our body is, right? And um, so they're feeding these chickens a vegetarian-based diet. So a plant-based diet, just like we're talking about. And some of their feed is covered in fish oil. So the cold water fish that I talked about, that helps the outcome of the egg, um, uh, the composition of the egg um, be more optimal with the omega-3. Now, red meat I always get asked about. And um, again, it's what the animals fed. So if you think of wild game, um, that is an option. The issue becomes if it's been processed. And so um, there are people who I've met um, from all over the world, and they eat wild game directly. Um, they hunt it. They don't feed um, a grain-fed diet to them. Like oftentimes people may do if they're out hunting and they try to beef up the animals. But I'm talking about an animal that's been pasture-raised, has been on their own, and you're getting an animal uh, product that um, – is from that source. The other thing um, that's out in the media and out in the grocery stores right now is about pasture-raised, grass-fed beef. And um, yes, this beef is um, more, a more optimal choice than a stockyard-fed beef, again, because of the composition of the animal's diet. The one thing, um, it's, it's kind of a tough one sometimes for patients who are on the go and running, um, is avoiding processed meats. And so AICR has um, part of the recommendations is to avoid processed meats. And this falls with anything in the deli counter, um, any of your hams, turkey meat, um, bacon, the things that a lot, a lot of times people are eating on the go, um, or oftentimes for, for lunches, you know, packing lunches for families. So what we want patients to kind of try and do is change their um, focus a little bit and say, hey, if you want a chicken sandwich, eat a chicken breast. Um, if you want a turkey sandwich, cook some turkey breast. You can put it in the freezer ahead of time, take it out for the week, make turkey sandwiches that way. Um, or again, even using some of the canned wild-caught fish is an option. So those are some ways for people who may not be in the vicinity of um, being able to access some of the you know, heard about items, but realize that they are in some of our grocery stores more than we realize. Um, 
the other part of my discussion, I hope I haven't gone too far over um, just answering that part, but is nutrition and hydration concerns with eating and eating tips. And we heard earlier that some folks do experience some side effects. Some folks have weight loss. They're challenged. Maybe the treatment, they're having a side effect um, that's uncomfortable or that's interfering with their eating. That's very possible. Um, and at that point, you know, talking with your healthcare team is essential. What I've talked about today is for somebody who is not having a lot of side effects or who is able to tolerate a regular diet, there isn't any unintentional weight loss or um, pains with um, tolerating a diet, any issues with that. But if you have a patient who's maintaining um, their weight and they're following a plant-based diet and this is where they are, and maybe they have a change in their course or they present with weight loss, um, bringing in those healthy fats is what we want to try and do to help beef up calories oftentimes. And omega-3s, everyone's heard about them, but they help reduce inflammation and they're, they're such a spectrum um, that they found this that omega-3 has been beneficial in. Our body uses um, the form of omega-3 called DHA and EPA. Now, in our plant-based foods, it's in a different form called alpha-linoleic acid, but our body converts it over to the form that we can use. Um, so I want to um, just have you when you talk with your healthcare team, to ask them, how can I use those healthy fats to beef my calories up? What's the best for me? And um, we're learning to make things at home and not using the processed items as often. So um, I hope that's been helpful. And Carolyn, I'm going to hand it back over to you. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Bearden. That really is outstanding and lots of information and lots of help in terms of um, eating and questions that people have about nutrition and hydration. So thank you so much. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. And our next speaker is Richard Dickens. And Rick is an oncology social worker, and he's our Men's Cancer's Program Director at Cancer Care. And Mr. Dickens is going to address how meditation may help you to cope. So I'm delighted to turn this program over to Mr. Dickens. Thank you, Carolyn. Within the last 10 to 20 years, all major cancer centers have established integrative medicine departments, which might also be called complementary alternative medicine and include mind-body-spirit practices, such as meditation, yoga, qigong, guided imagery, and other techniques. While the use of these practices is still relatively new in the West, most of them have a history going back thousands of years in Eastern medicine. These practices are called holistic medicine because they treat the whole person, mind, body, and spirit, and integrative medicine because they are practices that can be done in conjunction with standard treatments. I'm going to begin with breath, which is a cornerstone of meditation, and more so what many of us don't realize, it's the 20% of breath that is oxygen. Dr. Andrew Weil, one of the leaders in integrative medicine, said in a 2005 Time Magazine cover article, I have long promoted the benefits of working with breath as the simplest, most efficient way of taking advantage of the mind-body connection to affect both physical and mental health. When we are under stress, we are hardwired to take shallow breaths from our chest to quickly get oxygen to help us move into the fight-or-flight mode. After we confront the crisis at hand, our bodies return to our natural breath. This is the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems. 
But when we are in an extended or chronic state of crisis or worry, as can be the case when dealing with myeloproliferative neoplasms, we don't return to our natural belly breath and the steady flow of oxygen we need to calm our mind and maintain our bodies. This state is very important in helping us make serious decisions about treatment and health. A simple way to observe your breath is to put one hand on your chest and the other on your abdomen with your thumb on your navel. While doing this, take three breaths. If the primary hand moving is on your chest, then you're taking shallow breaths and are not using your full diaphragm. Breath is the cornerstone of meditation. The practice of meditation is simply an exercise in quieting the mind to help us maintain balance and equanimity in a world that is always changing. It is in no way meant to put us, uh, put us to sleep or remove us from our concerns. In fact, quite the contrary. Meditation actually heightens our awareness and helps us focus better. Walks in nature, repetitive prayer, listening to soothing music or ambient sounds are meditative techniques that most people engage in at some time or other. There are many types of meditation practices. One well-known type uses a mantra or sound as the point of focus, sometimes referred to as a one-pointed meditation. Transcendental meditation, or TM, is one of the most well-known of this type of practice. In TM, you sit quietly 20 minutes a day and focus on your mantra. When you notice the mind has wandered, you gently bring it back to the breath. The goal of this type of meditation is to transcend from a state of too much thought to no thought. If you study TM, you are given a Sanskrit word as a mantra, but you can also engage in this type of practice by using affirming one-syllable words such as peace, love, joy, and hope. The most studied type of meditation in the West is a two-pointed meditation called mindfulness or insight meditation. Now, mindfulness uses the breath as a point of focus to quiet the mind and then a non-judgmental awareness of your thoughts when the mind wanders. The funny thing about the mind is that it also has a mind of its own. In other words, the mind wanders before we know it has wandered. This is sometimes called monkey mind. Like a monkey jumps indiscriminately from tree to tree, the mind jumps indiscriminately from idea to idea, often focusing on negative concerns. Unlike one-pointed meditation, where you simply bring the mind back to the mantra when you discover it's discovered it's wandered. In mindfulness, you observe the new thought non-judgmentally rather than ignoring it. Mindful and mindfulness uses the breath as the point of focus and views thoughts that arise with a state of non-judgmental awareness, being fully present to the myriad of physical and emotional feelings while not being impacted by them. A metaphor for meditation and mind is a rip current. When the ocean tide comes in, the beach quickly becomes saturated with water. The excess water needs a place to go, so it begins to spill back into the incoming ocean by creating a narrow current going against the larger tide. The best of swimmers who get caught in a rip current will drown if they become overwhelmed by fear and fight against the force of water. However, 
if they swim parallel to the beach, they eventually come out of the current and can once again swim ashore with the tide. Physical and emotional pain often make us fight against them, consuming us in their power. But if we simply float with it, non-judgmentally observing its impact, it eventually dissipates and allows us to be free from its grip of fear and suffering. In the beginning of mindfulness practice, the focus is only on the breath, gently bringing your mind back to breath when you notice it has wandered. As you grow in the practice, you learn methods of body scanning, using the sensations of the body to strengthen the practice of non-judgmental awareness. With more practice, the mind often expands beyond the narrow focus of breath to incorporate feelings and sensations, and eventually streams of consciousness opening to other phenomena. In mindfulness, thoughts and sensations of the body become the teacher. A holistic view of the mind-body connection is that the body feels while the mind attributes feelings. In other words, and this is very important, what we feel translates into how we are feeling. And in doing that, doubles the suffering. With mindfulness, you you do not try to avoid the thought or feeling, but simply observe non-judgmentally which in turn diminishes its power, then you gently glide the mind back to the breath. John Kabat-Zinn is the best-known Western teacher of mindfulness and the founder of the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program, often referred to as MBSR, at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Over 30 years of research in meditation has shown, among other things, that it can help lower blood pressure, increase the immune response response and alleviate pain, or at least help people tolerate it better. Kabat-Zinn's Western model of mindfulness expanded the tradition, traditional sitting technique to walking meditations, again, non-judgmentally observing physical sensations of movement. There are many books and tapes on mindfulness as well as online videos. Like any practice, it is best understood by attending workshops and classes by trained clinicians, but the simplicity makes it possible to experiment on one's own. And with that, I'm going to turn it back to Carolyn and look forward to the questions and answers shortly. Uh, Thank you so much, Rick. That was really wonderful and very um, wonderful to know about all the different things that we can do. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. And our next speaker is uh, Ms. Victoria Puzo. Ms. Puzo is an oncology social worker, and she is our online support group program coordinator at Cancer Care. And Ms. Puzo is going to tell you a bit about Cancer Care's free psychosocial programs and services and the role of support groups. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Ms. Puzo. Thank you, Carolyn. Um, As she said, I'm an oncology social worker here at Cancer Care. Um, I've been working with many people diagnosed with cancer and their loved ones. Um, And we've been talking today about managing your care and um, maybe doing some things for yourself that might be able to mitigate some of the side effects that you're experiencing or coping with your diagnosis a little bit better. Um, And cancer care can be a part of um, increasing your ability to care for yourself during your illness. Um, Cancer Care is a nonprofit organization that provides free support services to people affected by cancer and their loved ones. Um, We have individual counseling in our New York City offices as well as 
telephone um, support over our hotline um, that's provided nationally. We also have support groups online over the phone and in our offices, and um, as well as educational programs such as the program we're listening to today. All of our services are provided by licensed master's level oncology social workers and are completely free of charge. All of our social workers are trained on how a diagnosis of cancer affects a person and their family. We're trained to help cancer patients and their supports tackle the problems that accompany the disease, such as the financial demands, physical changes, social adjustment, and psychological impact and care. Adjusting to finding ways of coping with the diagnosis in all the areas I mentioned is an important part of the healing process, which is some of the things that we were talking about today by you know, adjusting your um, nutrition, exercise, all those kind of things can help um, adjust to your illness as well as mentally by participating in some kind of meditation or even um, part of a support group. Um, our support groups especially can help you address some of the things that we were talking about today because you can interact with other people diagnosed with um, a similar type of cancer and people might be able to tell you what they've been doing that's been helpful for them and you might be able to try those kind of things yourself. Um, so you might be able to bounce ideas off each other about um, different kinds of exercise that are a little bit easier to tolerate or um, certain kind of foods that are um, working well for other people. Even um, I know in some of our support groups people share recipes, healthy recipes that they use during treatment. Um, so these are all ways that you can kind of feel well emotionally and support your, your mind and spirit that we've been talking about today. Um, and at this time, Cancer Care actually offers an online support group for people diagnosed with blood cancers, include, including um, everything under the category of MPN. Um, we also provide the patient and caregiver support groups in our New York City region and um, over the phone nationally. So if you think that any of these kind of services might be able to help in your general wellness, I would suggest calling our HOPE line at one 800 813-HOPE or 1-800-813-4673 and visit our website at cancercare.org. Um, our website is very comprehensive and you can find a lot of information not only on support but on all of our programs, information about your cancer diagnosis, um, treatment and ways of coping. We have some great um, um, work um, fact sheets that are related to um, spiritual health, um, integrating yoga or meditation, um, and you know just some general um, nutrition guidelines that you can follow also that are really short and simple um, things to read to um, solidify some of the things you might have learned today. Um, and finally, we've learned a lot in, from today's program and there's a lot of information to digest. So our oncology social workers can help you understand what some of that means to you and your loved ones. So if you have any questions or things come up after the program is over, you can always feel free to call our hotline um, and connect with us in that way to answer further questions. Well, thank Sorry. you, Ms. Tuzo. That was excellent. Thank you so much. Um, very nice review of our services, and that is an, a very nice, accessible service able to access um, anywhere in the world to some extent to call us and um, our, 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 visit our website for us to actually um, connect with you. And now we have time for questions. We have a lot of time for questions. I'm going to ask 
um, Andrea to explain to all of you how to queue up for questions, we're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. However, if we don't get your question at the end of the call, I'll give you all, all kinds of ways to get your questions answered. So, but let's start now. Andrea? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Again, ladies and gentlemen, to ask a question, please press star then 1. So the question from Lynn, actually on our online questions. Um, with blood cancers, does taking vitamin C supplements help promote health and fight cancer, or alternatively threaten health by enabling cancer cells to survive and grow? So I'm going to ask Dr. Gowan if you would address that question, please. Oh, that is a great question, Lynn, and thank you for asking it, because I know that vitamin C is one of the most frequently used supplements. In general, I recommend getting your vitamin C from whole food sources and being sure that you're getting it from an array of different sources, um, from uh, citruses or um, other sources of vitamin C. There's no good data out there, no evidence that vitamin C has impact on the progression of uh, of cancer cells. And so um, to date, we don't have any data to show that supplementation from um, external sources with vitamin C is going to impact your cancer. But I, I do think it is a very important nutrient to get within your whole food kind of diet. And Dr. Um, Gowan, could you just comment on for those people who are in the midst of treatment and how they would want to let their healthcare team know if they're what they're doing in terms of supplementation because of this interaction. Oh, thank you, Carolyn, so much for asking that question because that is so true. And very often what we find is that uh, patients are seeing two providers, either a naturopathic physician or other alternative providers and then also a hematologist. And the two providers are not talking to each other. And so I can't emphasize enough how important it is to let both sides of your healthcare team know what you're taking, and particularly the pharmacist. So if there's any interactions there, they can help to kind of ascertain what those interactions are, and is it a safe combination to kind of continue forward with? Thank you so much. Excellent. Thank you. And another question from um, Elizabeth, one of our um, online participants, and this one is actually for Ms. Burden. Um, coconut oil is so high in saturated fat, why is it touted as good for us? So um, if, Ms. Jordan, if you could address that and um, that question. Of course. Thank you, Carolyn. And that is a really good question. That's something that's out in the media right now. And um, it's a big question mark, you know, how, how is this going to benefit me? Well, coconut oil is saturated at room temperature, and that's absolutely correct. It is a saturated fat. But how we process it in our body is a little bit different. And so <clears throat> the MCT content is is what makes it different from other saturated fats, the medium chain triglyceride. And how we process that in our body um, results in how we store it. So we don't store it the same way that we would, um, you know, like a traditional saturated fat in found in our red meats or fried foods and things like that. And so the, the, poten the um, potential health harm isn't the same just because it's saturated. It, it has some unique qualities that react differently in our body and it's processed differently in our body. Okay, thank you. And we have a question actually from um, Marlene actually. I want to stay um, active even though I'm undergoing treatment, but my energy levels are always low and I feel sluggish. What can I do to improve this? 
So this is a question that probably um, comes across all of our speakers to some extent. I'm going to ask Dr. Gowan to start this discussion, and I'm going to actually ask each person to weigh in in, in different ways. But um, Dr. Gowan, if you could start first, and then I'll. Marlene, thank you for asking that question because, you know, out of all the symptoms within the NPN patient population, fatigue is the most paramount. And it truly is an obstacle when you're, you're trying to be proactive and trying to get on a physical activity program. What I recommend is taking it in small doses. And so whatever sounds fun to you, whether that's going out for a walk or doing a bit of yoga, Pilates, try to do it in short little bursts. And, and then try to do those kind of low-activity um, um, exercises such as yoga, tai chi, qigong, which get you up and get you moving, but maybe they're not so cardiovascularly challenging. Um, and there's a lot of interest in these right now. There's in breast cancer data out there showing that it decreases your fatigue and increases your quality of life if you're participating in yoga. And it actually is affecting the body in other ways. The um, cortisol, which is our stress hormone in our body, the slope of that, meaning uh, the amount that's in your body is less when you're participating in yoga. And so it's decreasing that stress response. So I think there's a lot to these kind of mindful interventions such as yoga and Tai Chi and Qigong. And so that might be a great option for you is to do kind of these low impact interventions. And um, thank you. And Ms. Bearden, do you want to comment Put me around hydration as well? Yeah, I was actually just going to bring that up. <laughs> hydration is very um, important. And oftentimes when you are fatigued, um, you're tending to sleep more. And when you're getting up, um, you're thinking, oh, I need to eat a little something. But drinking fluid throughout the day isn't necessarily something that's on the forefront of your mind. So um, hydration is very important, monitoring your hydration status. Um, most folks, as a general rule, need between 8 and 10 8-ounce glasses of fluid a day. Um, that's a very general guideline. And then also um, making sure that your energy source is there. Um, muscle mass maintenance is important. And when we aren't eating enough, um, we don't just lose fat. We also can lose muscle because our body's looking at a total caloric intake. So getting in small, frequent meals, focusing on those foods that we mentioned earlier with healthy fats to reduce inflammation as much as possible, um, and eating foods that are nourishing, which is very important, too. Um, like Dr. Gowan said earlier, getting your nutrition from your food um, is what we encourage patients to do. So working with your healthcare team to put a good plan together for you um, would be very helpful. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, Mr. Dickens, did you want to comment in terms of uh, um, meditation? And sure. Um, Carolyn, Dr. Gowan really had mentioned some of this, but in the years, the 20 years I've been in oncology, I've definitely seen more and more studies just on the importance of um, exercise. Now, people right away think exercise has to be something more high impact and such. But I work with people oftentimes, just especially as we get into the spring and summer, just a simple walk around the block, uh, changing your environment a little bit, even if it's walking to a park and sitting there for a while and just watching people getting some fresh air. Those are very simple, basic techniques that people can do, and it really affects not only physically but mentally your outcome, which really sometimes fatigue itself can be specifically or very 
acutely tied into the illness or the treatment, but also it could be exacerbated by your mental health condition and becoming more isolated or, um, or such can make some people feel even more tired. And essentially, the many different areas of mind-body-spirit practices, again, as Dr. Gowan had mentioned, um, Tai Chi and Qigong and yoga, they have very low, simple impact exercises a lot of times that do exercise the body, get the blood flowing a little better, and bring some, not only a sense of being engaged and, and accomplishing something, but working with other people, often done in community centers or in gyms, and, and has a way of, of improving your mental and physical um, outlook. Now, all of these, as been stated several times, you don't want to do something that's going to be painful or push yourself to that level but, and helpful to discuss with your medical team. But more and more research and more and more people that I work with, there are some simple things that they can do depending on the level of fatigue and the cause of that. And uh, Rick, do you want to comment on just the role of meditation um, in terms of just how that might impact how one feels and in terms of fatigue as well, is that um, could you? Is there any? Um, By all means. By all means, Carolyn. Definitely, I'm a meditator for 40 years myself, and and a lot of times you could sit in a posture if you choose that, and mindfulness you could actually do it while you're walking, but it does address, if not as much in terms of the physical activity, meditation itself really address addresses your emotional and and um, and mental well-being. And a lot of that could be challenged very much by changes in your lifestyle due to your treatment and your cancer. Uh, people don't always recognize it's simple things like if they belong to a house of worship, repetitive prayer, or songs in, in the worship, um, during the worship, or share something with the whole idea of chanting and meditation as well. It brings you into a state of calm, and equanimity, and all, more and more research is showing the physiological benefits of that throughout the body as well. Excellent. Thank you so much. And um, also, um, um, thank you so much. And Ms. Puzo, do you want to comment on just the role of support groups sometimes, the people sharing um, how they have tips sure. in terms of how they Sure, yeah. I think, you know, as I said before, a lot of times the support groups are a good way um, for people to get some tips about how others are dealing with things like fatigue. And as Rick had mentioned, sometimes when you're interacting with other people, it can lift your spirits. And um, if you have that kind of mental boost, that can give you a little bit more, uh, make you feel more energy energized to um, engage in some of the activities. And you can also um, encourage each other. So not only if it's a support group specifically for people with cancer, but there's a lot of things um, in social media or even um, locally where you can get involved in um, fitness groups that kind of help keep you accountable. Um, and you might be able to find something that is um, more geared towards people who might be a little bit more physically limited um, and um, engaging in maybe less um, uh, rigorous activities. So I think, um, you know, just kind of building up your community um, and network of support, whether it's through a support group or talking to a social worker, um, all of those kind of things can help maybe increase your motivation or energy. 
And there's an um, excellent uh, late-breaking last question from Diana. Um, uh, is there a book out there for MPM patients regarding nutrition, exercise, and meditation? Dr. Gowan, uh, can, is, would you like to recommend in terms of that or a general book in terms of helping mm. people with this? Diana, really great question. And to be honest, no, there really is not a single book out there that addresses just the NPN patient. There are a lot of resources out there. Um, the NCI has good resources. Livestrong.com has good resources. Um, and there are general kind of health and wellness books for the cancer patient. Um, kind of the textbook for integrative oncology was written by Donald Abrams. Um, he is um, out of UC San Francisco and runs um, the OSHA Center for Integrative Medicine out there. And he wrote um, a great textbook that's good for patients and practitioners um, for all the different uh, modalities of integrative medicine. Um, and then another um, great resource is uh, Life Over Cancer um, by Keith Block, who wrote a, a really great um, book on uh, nutrition and some different aspects of the cancer journey, um, whether you're dealing with weight loss or trying to lose weight and kind of gives you techniques. Um, and so in every book that you read has a little bit of a different twist, um, but they're all great resources. Um, but I think it's an excellent point, Diana, and, and maybe somebody sh we should all get together and write one. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually um, the MPN Coalition has put together some booklets on this, and I know all the different organizations have fact sheets and informational pieces, um, and so we're going to actually, um, after the program, we'll send all of you the resources that we can connect you to, um, you know, uh, so that you can actually access them, but that is a very good idea that perhaps if the book has not been written yet, this couldn't be a better group to do it, and uh, Diana, we actually need to make you some get you involved in this as well because you have posed such a great question. It's, it's an excellent question. Um, there are, if, I could, yes. if I could jump in also, uh, believe it or not, and, and a lot of times just Googling things like meditation, for those of you who might be in a larger urban area, uh, you might find that there's even a group or things like that, Tai Chi, Qigong, over the years uh, working in our own mind-body-spirit program here. I'm pleasantly surprised how many, as I think I mentioned, gyms, community centers, senior centers are actually doing some of those techniques, and many of the practitioners are going to have recommendations in terms of books and such. And going back to John Kabat-Zinn, it's K-A-B-A-T-Z-I-N-N, and the mind-body, um, the MBSR, mind-body stress reduction out of Uni University of Massachusetts. John Kabat-Zinn has numerous books out there, and most of those books, again, re reference other sort of resources as well. Indeed, for the specific topics per se, there is information, of course, out there. I think, I think um, and I think that's an excellent point, that kind of think of just the general concepts. And then I, I think we'll also um, want something that sounds like for, for people specifically with MPN. And I think that um, we will send you the resources the MPN Coalition has developed. But I think that there is, of course, a wealth of information, all the different specific topics. But I think um, so we definitely all have our work cut out for us. This is really a, what a wonderful way to kind of conclude a call with a question that really spurs us thinking about now what now what can we develop? How can we develop this? So, um, so to, I guess to be continued and more to come, I, I think is what we would have to say, which is a great way to kind of end the program to some extent. I want to thank our speakers. They've really been extraordinary. 
I also want to thank all of you who've queued up and asked such great questions, um, both online and um, um, and actually, uh, Diana has a final comment to say, I think you all should definitely write one book for MPN patients. So there you have it. Um, and thank you so much. So thanks, Diana. We will definitely keep this in mind, and we will um, take this to heart quite seriously. Um, and um, uh, however, and I want to thank all of you who have queued up and asked such great questions and comments. And I also want to thank all of you who have been listening. And I want to remind you that this is a one-hour program, and that in planning a program like this, we know that you all have many needs that go far beyond the scope of one hour. So I want to remind all of you that, indeed, um, there are different ways to get your continued questions answered. And so for anyone who has a medical question uh, in terms of their own specific medical situation, of course your healthcare team is a great way to start with because your team is, they know you, they know all the specifics about you. Um, and some of you also like to go somewhere else to get information as well. We recommend the National Cancer Institute, the information specialist there at 1-800-422-6237. Again, 1-800-422-6237. And we will provide that resource again to all of you. But that's a wonderful resource um, actually for um, all cancers and for, of course, MPN as well. And, um, we definitely would recommend that um, you would, if it's a medically focused question, you might want to start with them. Um, you can actually either call on the phone. You can also go to their website and do a live chat with them um, at www.cancer.gov. Um, so you can do a number of different ways of reaching them, both for our people in the United States and internationally. The um, live chat feature is particularly helpful as well. Now, in addition to that, if you have an interest in actually talking with one of our oncology social workers at Cancer Care or um, wanting to join an online or telephone support group or getting some counseling or practical assistance, um, I would definitely recommend that you just go ahead and call Cancer Care at 1-800-813-4673. So 1-800-813-4673. And our social workers are here to help you. Um, and to help you to address any of the uh, questions or concerns you may have, actually. Um, and um, you know, most importantly, as we're about to conclude our program today, I don't want any of you to think that you're alone in coping with MPN, with cancer, with any kind of concern you may have. You're now part of the cancer care community, and as such, you can access us at any time, both um, calling us or visiting our website and posing your question there. Also, just to keep you all um, in track with things that we have coming up that might be of interest to you, um, we have sort of a touched upon in many of our programs on this topic on clinical trials. And I think that there may be some very interesting things coming up about that. And so on May 20th, we do have a program on updates on clinical trials, which also look at quality of life studies and things like that. So that might be of interest to some of you on the call as well. I do want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.